Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. It's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And for some people, it is a sprint. And you kind of have to like keep your eyes on your own paper. And that's something I remind myself of all the time. Like I've, you know, had moderate success. And then sometimes I'm like, well, why is this person getting this? And I'm like, because that's what they were meant to get. And that wasn't for me. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome. Do we have a great show for you listeners today? Today's guest is the hilarious comedian Nicole Byer, who has dominated, I'm going to go ahead and say dominated, enough areas of the industry to have a lot of advice to offer. Anyone who's looking to break into the world of comedy, be it stand-up comedy, scripted comedy, sketch, improv, Um, but also she's an actor-writer, she's guested on a ton of TV shows, and she is a host. And I'm so excited to have her today because she is the host of the hilarious Netflix show, Nailed It. If you've seen it, it's a very popular Netflix baking show featuring contestants who are maybe not the best at baking. Um, And partially thanks to Nicole and her brilliant work as host, the show is never making fun (laughs) of those people who are not very good at baking. So I asked her a little bit about that. I asked her about um, her advice for anyone who's coming up at the industry. She had fabulous things to say about how to ask for the pay that you as an artist deserve and how to establish, especially early in your career, what that pay is. But this is also exciting. It's so exciting to feature Nicole right now because she is hosting the Creative Arts Emmy Awards this year um, in 2020. For those who don't know, the Creative Arts Emmy Awards, they usually happen the weekend before the primetime and the big primetime Emmy ceremony. They honor the quote unquote below the line categories, the technical stuff, the set production, makeup, um, the guest acting categories are, are there as well. I'm looking at an article on Backstage.com, maybe you've heard of it, about the changes that have happened to the Emmys this year. Of course, the Emmys 2020 has gone through a couple of changes. The primetime Emmy ceremony is still happening September 20th, Sunday. So excited. We're all getting ready for it here at Backstage. But the creative arts ceremony this year, it will actually take place from the 14th to the 19th, breaking down over various categories, like there's reality and nonfiction, and then there's variety, and then there's scripted. Nicole Byer is hosting all of this. And the Creative Arts Emmy ceremony is going to be broadcasted on FXX on September 19th, which is the Saturday before the Emmys. So it's all very exciting. The other reason it's exciting to have Nicole today is because for her work on Netflix, she is nominated in the in the category of Outstanding Reality Host. Um, she is the first ever Black woman to be nominated solo in this category, which is absurd. <laughs> And as she jokes about in this interview, she is nominated alongside some real heavyweights like the uh, cast of Queer Eye and uh, RuPaul, 
the host of RuPaul's Drag Race. RuPaul has won this award in this category the last several years, so Nicole was joking that uh, she doesn't stand a chance. But hey, you never know. You never know. (laughs) And I'm such a fan of Nicole, and I'm really rooting for her. Speaking of Emmys, over on Backstage.com, I'm looking at this really fabulous feature that the staff put together. We each picked our favorite Emmy-worthy moment of the 2020 TV season. We picked, you know, we picked apart a tiny snapshot of why shows like uh, Dead to Me is mentioned here, Euphoria, The Mandalorian, uh, Schitt's Creek, Unbelievable. These are shows that we we wanted to pinpoint one example of how the writing, acting, directing all came together. We will link to that in today's episode. Check out Backstage.com. And now strap in for this lovely, I believe, extra long episode with Nicole Byer. Let's take a quick break and then get to it. Hello, hello. This is Jamie, the producer of the podcast. And I just want to take some time to tell you about the sister podcast to In the Envelope, which is VO School. This is a podcast that I produce and host, and it is devoted entirely to voiceover. So if you're looking to get into the voiceover industry, you should check it out. That's VO School, found on iTunes, Stitcher, all the usual places, and it's hosted by me. Each episode covers a different subject, and we go through the business, the craft, the marketing, the blood, sweat, and tears that is creating a voiceover career. So check us out, the VO School podcast, available now. Nicole Byer just made history as the first ever black woman nominated for the Emmy Award for Outstanding Host of a Reality Program for her hilarious work on the Netflix Bake Off, Nailed It. Nicole trained at the Upright Citizens Brigade and broke through on MTV's Girl Code and began pounding the pavement as an actor on Pursuit of Sexiness, Loosely Exactly Nicole, and Plenty of Animated TV, a writer, including for her book, Hashtag Very Fat, Hashtag Very Brave, and a prolific podcaster, from best friends to newcomers to Why Won't You Date Me? Here is the phenomenally funny Nicole Byer. Jack, you're recording now? I am recording now. Um, And Nicole, you're recording. I'm so excited. I am. Nicole, hi. How are you? Hi, hi, hi. I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. Um, it's so good to talk to a, a podcaster. Like, I know that your audio is going to be... <laughs> yes, it will be good. I've got a microphone and everything. Good. You're going to sound much better than me. You're literally on... You're signed on here as Whoopi Goldberg. And the picture yeah. that pops up is Whoopi Goldberg and Ghost. Yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> so. know, uh, keep everyone on their toes guessing. <laughs> um, Nicole Byer, I am such a big fan of yours. And thank you. I could not be more thrilled to be talking to you, and especially right now. Congratulations on your Emmy nomination. Thank you. And the fact that you are hosting the Creative Arts Emmys. Yes, it's very exciting. <laughs> uh, who would have thought? I uh, who would have thought you would have time it. to do a podcast? I'm very, I'm amazed that you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Really. Oh yes, of course. Are you familiar with backstage at all? Yeah, it's um, where I would find auditions to go to. And uh, yeah, when I lived in New York, I would sift through backstage. There was a lot of uh, musical auditions that uh, I was not right for. But you know, sometimes you go and 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 you're bad. (laughs) (laughs) For the experience? Yeah. Yeah. 
That's great. So it was mostly, was it theater stuff, musical stuff? Yeah, it was a lot of theater because when I was living in New York, I very much thought I was going to be on Broadway and oh, be in musicals. Yeah. But if you cannot sing, <laughs> that's uh, that's where the issue lies. Well, I still think you could def- you could still be on Broadway. You could still steal the show somehow. Yes, I could do a play of sorts or uh-huh. be in a musical where there's one character named Aunt Fran who doesn't sing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. The character role that doesn't really sing, that's a, that's a yes. thing in some musicals. Yeah. Or a one-woman show like, like Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'd have I to understand. write it. Ugh. <laughs> I understand she was like, she was one of the initial inspirations for you. Yeah, I do love Whoopi. Uh, I saw the revival of Whoopi. I think it was 2008, maybe 2007 ish. And I saw it and I was just like, it was one of those things where like the whole, I think it was at the Lyceum Theater. So it's like, you know, pretty, it's a big Broadway theater. And it was like, it was sold out. It was filled with people laughing. And then at times you could hear like a pin drop. And she just made you like go through all of the emotions in the hour and a half or hour 45 the show was. And that was very inspiring that it's like, not all comedy has to be like, ha ha ha, but mm. like, it could be like, ha ha ha, oh, ha 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. like ebbs and flows to comedy. And I, I really loved that. Totally. That's actually, that's, I mean, that that's a great philosophy about comedy. You want a ha ha ha, oh. <laughs> yeah. You can get more, is it about educating people? I guess you're educating people sometimes. Yeah, and I don't think all comedy has to be like that. I think it's just like when people are like, there's one type of comedy and it's all ha-has. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't think so. Some comedy does make you think. Some comedy is just like stupid. Like, I love doing stupid stuff where people are like, man, that was dumb. Uh, Yeah, so it's, uh, I like to do a lot of different things. Yeah, and we need, I think we need all all types of comedy in in uh, maybe in times of crisis. How yeah, is your sure. How is your 2020 going? Oh, you know, 2020 has been one of my favorite years. Nothing has gone wrong. I think uh, everything is perfect. Everyone is thriving. Perfect. You know, unemployment is like so at all time low. Our president, yeah. the morale from him is just beautiful. <laughs> he has yep. brought everybody together. And, uh, you know, and the word divisive doesn't exist this year. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. No systemic issues. Yeah, yeah, 2020 has been interesting, It's to say the least. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's one of those things where I don't know. Do you feel also that there there are successes, there are high points, of course, in a year like this. There's still good stuff happening, like yeah, like your Emmy nomination or whatever. Yes, you know? it is. Uh, but it's it hard is to cool to yeah. like have you know great things happen, but it's also insane to be like, oh, I'm celebrating while some yeah. people are being evicted from their homes and our government's doing nothing to help them. Uh, it's weird to celebrate when it's like, oh, people were given a $1,200 check one time and extra $100 a week for unemployment. Yeah. And it's like, it's crazy. It's really crazy to be like celebrating something cool and like trying to write comedy when it's like, oh, OK, I'm going to write comedy. But like maybe a couple people who want to come to this outdoor show can't come because they don't have a fucking job. So it's just hmm. it's really weird to like live in this time and try to be joyful when you yeah. think about other things. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really finding the value of entertainment of like, like you said, even the stupid comedy that like, even if it's just an hour where I'm taken out of it, 
that's kind of healing, honestly. It's kind of, it's helpful for the psyche, I feel like. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like that's the beauty of Nailed It. It is like a half hour yes. where you can like zone out, watch <laughs> yes. people try their hardest, and it's still the silliest thing you've ever seen. Completely. Uh, yeah, I just, I think it's like uh, one of those shows that it's it's nice, it's a, it's a full-blown escapism where you can yeah. actually like put yourself in it and be like, I think I could do that. And you watch yeah. it, you're like, why would you do that? It's like, <laughs> a, it's very, it's fun. It's a fun thing to like yeah. really talk to your screen at. <laughs> Talk to your screen at, totally. Totally. And the premise of Nailed It, I mean, I imagine there are no listeners who have never heard of it, but like Nailed It on paper, it seems like a very, it almost seems kind of mean that it could be mean spirited. And it's so never that. Is there anything about your job as host to kind of establish that tone? Um, I think yes. Like, uh, it's a lot of reading the room. So like in the first mm. season, nobody knew what the show was. Right. So of course, when they made these things, they would be like, ha ha, isn't this wild? And you'd be like, yes, it is wild. <laughs> and then after the show aired, like mm. we had contestants who actually I think the first and second season, I think the second season was shot before anything aired, I believe. I'm not sure. I don't know the timeline. I'm not mm. a chemist. I can't remember things. Um, but I just like remember the tone changing a little bit with people being like, I actually tried my hardest. I thought I could do better. I'm a little sad that it didn't go the way I planned for it to go. So it's a little bit of like, okay, this person's face is telling me if I tee hee hee, Uh they may start boo hoo hooing. Uh, So it's finding the balance, which sometimes is hard, but But uh, I think I do a pretty good job of totally reading the room. And Jacques also does like a pretty good job of like, being like, okay, this person looks really, really sad. But like, we're pretty honest, like with the taste of it, because yeah, you know, yeah. like that's some, like that's you can't like sugarcoat the taste. You could be like, oh, well, you tried this, Literally. this little figurine has two legs, and that is a win. But it's like, oh boy, this tasted like, uh, I don't know, snow that had been left out and refrozen. It's very gross. <laughs> I hate this. Uh, so yeah. like, that's like something they could be like, well, I tasted it too, and yes, it's very bad. <laughs> Yeah, you don't. So you don't want to lie, but you do want to be yeah. sensitive when you need yes. to. Yes, yeah. There's a way to give constructive criticism without destroying someone's whole <laughs> self worth and self being. Yeah. And I think people <laughs> confuse constructive criticism with just straight up criticism. Sure, sure. It's like in a writer's room when you're like, I don't like that joke. It's like, okay, well, what joke do you have to replace it? I don't know. Well, that wasn't helpful. Right. Uh, if you don't uh, like the joke, you kind of have to have a backup joke to be like, well, what about this? Oh, this might okay. be even worse, but like, what about this? That's being helpful. And totally. Jock is helpful. He's like, well, maybe next time, instead of, uh, you know, putting your cakes in the tin in the blast chiller, you take them out. And people are always like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny that he says it literally every episode and people are still like, oh. Because <laughs> at this point, yeah, totally. Yeah. I do feel like they all emerge better bakers for the, mo- for the most part. I think so. Yeah. I think there's usually like a pretty huge uh, step up from uh, the first <laughs> challenge to the second challenge. When the bar is pretty low, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, talk to me about, on this podcast, we feature a lot of actors and, and a, a lot of writers as well. And, and a lot of people in the comedy world is hosting a totally different bag. Like, first of all, how did you get the gig on Nailed It? Um, I was very lucky. Uh, a lot of people 
I mean, you know, like you go to an audition, you go to the callback, you do a test, a chemistry read. Sometimes you go back like five, six times because they can't figure out who they actually want to fit with the person they've already cast. I was really, really lucky that I went to a meeting. I was shown a concept sheet. And Mm. again, I don't know if I was their top choice, their third choice, their eighth choice. I don't know who passed on this before they got to me. Uh. Um, But it was like, we would like you to do this. We are greenlit for a season. Are you in or are you out? And I was like, I think I'm in. I mean, Netflix is such (laughs) a huge platform. It feels silly to say no, especially Mm. when they were like, we don't know what the show tonally is. And I was like, oh, this might be like like a girl code situation where I was on a show that I was not censored really. Yeah. I said whatever I wanted and yeah. things made the edit that I was like, oh, I can't believe this is going to be on television. Right. Uh, but yeah, when we started shooting, it was very much like, oh, Nicole gets to do what Nicole wants to do. <laughs> and it was like fun and free. And then like a lot of the funny stuff that they use is just stuff from like, because we yeah. watched the bakers for like an hour and a half. So it's like, I don't know. I have ADD. Also, I can't just sit yeah. and watch someone bake for an hour and a half. So a lot of like silly things come from that. Totally. Would you say when you're, are you being 100% yourself or is there an element of playing a character? Like where on that scale are you? Um, I mean, I'm not as, <laughs> it's it's a fine line. I don't think I'm playing a character per se, yeah. but I do, uh, let's see. I like, I don't know, I talk weird. Every time I do ADR, I'm like, is that the way I speak? It's very <laughs> strange. Oh. Um, so, Sometimes I'll do like different inflections, but that's like, because I don't want it to get stale. I like Mm. to play with words. I like to, you know, do interesting line reads. Uh, uh, I was talking to one of our guest judges and I was talking about Lord of the Rings and I was like that scene where (laughs) Sam goes, potato. I was like, I feel like him saying (laughs) potato like that is a full conceit of my hosting. <laughs> it's very <laughs> wild. Uh, yeah. But then like I do that with my friends to like make them laugh. So yeah, right. it like, I'm not like that all the time. If I had that much energy all the time, I would die every night. I would just pass right away. Okay. I would be constantly so tired. Okay. So I think it's like a mixture of like, oh, I am on and now but I'm on. off, you know? Yeah. 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 It's heightened. Yeah. Yeah. Slightly heightened. Yeah. And the thing about the un uh, the uncensored idea is it the exception to the rule? Like, was your instinct about the idea that you could be uncensored? Is that just because it's often true that the crazier you go, the more it's going to get cut from something? Um. Well, I mean, I'm like a pretty raunchy comic, allegedly. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> yeah. I am, but people say I am. Uh, <laughs> yes. So it depends on how sex positive you are. I think. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny that like, if you talk about sex, people are like, oh my God, <laughs> how scandalous. And I'm like, I don't know. You got here through it. Yeah. <laughs> Your mommy and whoever were doing it. Yeah. Um, so I guess they just, they like, it didn't go very blue in the edits, I think, to make it more accessible for people because, uh-huh. like, not only adults watch it, but like kids watch it. So, yeah. uh, taping, I'm not restricted. But then in the edit, sometimes they pare it down to make it more universally, uh, like, available for people to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Now, what can you tell us about the Creative Arts Emmys? What do you what do you know about it so far? I know that it's five nights. 
Yeah. I know that I am hosting for five nights. Um, I'm going to be wearing outfits yes. and probably speaking to prompter. Um, and it's going to air and then people will watch it. <laughs> Are you going to a th- like a theater? Do you record it right there in your home? Um, your I home? do not think I'm recording it in my home. I believe Good. I'm going to a location with very few people who will stand far away from me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What a world we live in. What a world. Yeah. That's crazy. We're gonna. I think we're gonna air this just before all of this happens, and then, and then the ceremony happens, and the ceremony is gonna be, hundred percent virtual. Also, yeah, really the zoomies. <laughs> oh yeah, sad. I guess sad. it is sad. It does suck. I was talking to my friend Darcy Carden, who was also nominated yes. for her work on The Good Place. Friend of the podcast. Yeah, <clears throat> I love Darcy. We've been improvising together for I don't know seven years, six years, oh, something nice. like that. Uh, we came up together in New York or she started a little bit before me. So like I would watch her on mod night and whatnot. And then when I got put on teams, you know, whatever. But uh, I was like, I'm depressed that I don't get to see you on the carpet wearing yeah. a stunning gown because this is such a like milestone in her career. Oh, yeah. And then also she's stunning and she wears clothes so well. Like I texted her, I was like, like, yeah, I'm so sad I can't see you in a dress because you wear dresses so well. And I was like, what a weird compliment. She was like, I get it. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, like. And then like like Rami, I came up with him in New York, so it'd be cool to see him. It's oh, just like cool. a lot of people that like I had been like working with and around for so long are being honored. And it just sucks that like we can't celebrate in person. Because yeah. it is such a celebration and it's fun. But I think for like the next couple of years, like, yeah, this might be our new norm, yeah. which is a bummer, but you know, things happen when you don't inform the people until it's in full swing. Uh, Things happen (laughs) when you make interesting choices. It's so funny because like Ebola was a plague or a a pandemic and uh, it didn't hit us hard because uh, I think other choices were made. You know, this isn't a political podcast. It is Uh, not. (laughs) But I... I'm so down to go there. I mean, choices were made is a great way of putting it, actually. It's just that's a hard nice neutral not way of to it. think about it. It's so it's crazy. We're living in the wildest time. The actual wildest time. Timeline. Yes. It's yeah. just, yeah. And it's it's crazy to be covering awards. It's it's honestly crazy that the Emmys are still happening. And again, like, yeah. how how cool that you and your friends and the people you came up with are, are, are nominated. That's so awesome. Um, was this ever the dream? Like, talk to me about the early days, like, did you ever dream of getting an Emmy nomination, of being in this position? Uh, yes, I've like dreamt about awards when I was a wee little girl in New Jersey. I <laughs> would like late at night, I'm like a real night owl and I have like ADD. So like my brain uh-huh. is just going at night because there's nothing else happening. So like, I feel the steadiness and the peace of the night and I'm like, ooh, my brain can think. So when I was little, yeah. I used to like put on dresses and heels and pretend to be on late night shows oh, and interview that. myself. And then I would also pretend to like win an award and like cry in my bed while holding like a hanger and being like, I just want to thank everybody for thinking <laughs> I was good. So yeah, like winning yeah. an award would be a dream come true. I think yeah. anybody who says otherwise is lying to you. Yes. <laughs> because it's such like and whenever people are like just being nominated is an honor that's not a lie because it like it is it's very cool to be nominated with like other cool people rupaul yes who i will surely lose to and that's fully (laughs) fine that is fully fine i've had friends who vote for stuff like send me like a little video of them voting for me and i always respond with a vote for me is a vote for jill stein in 2016. it does it's gonna be real (laughs) 
matter. It's going to be RuPaul. And it's fully fine. Ru (laughs) is a legend. She's a living legend. Uh, The show is a cultural phenomenon. I love the show. You do. So, like, yeah, I've been on it. Like, it's really, it's just exciting, like, to be nominated with the Queer Eye Boys. They're a global phenomenon. Uh, Like, it's cool. It's really, really cool. That's so cool. So, okay, podcasting. Yes. I knew you were... I knew you did a lot of podcasts, but then I looked at the full list, including the the podcast you've guested on. It just yeah. seems like a full time job. Um, it is a little bit. I mean, I had a really great uh, system when life was normal, uh-huh. so I would like record them on weekends. So I would like fly back from. Oh. I'd be gone. I was gone maybe like 30, 30, maybe 40 weeks out of the year last year touring. Touring. But uh, I would like land on a Saturday or Sunday. I record three episodes uh, of one, three episodes. Like I just I just worked a lot. Like I I worked maybe like seven days a week uh, a lot lot of the time. It is a lot. And I like being busy. I like working. I like juggling things. I like being tired at night. Um, Mm. I like trying to think of jokes. I like that. Uh, this this uh, whole pandemic has been hard. Uh. Yeah, totally. Is it the same thing as the, ho- I guess it is hosting. It's literally, you're often hosting the podcast. Is it the same thing of turning yourself on when you're like recording? Um. Yes and no. I mean, all performances for me is like, turning myself on. I don't think anyone wants to hear me be like, oh boy, I just got off a plane and I'm so tired. So tell me about your love life. It's like, well, Uh, I I have to, if I make it fun for me, hopefully it's fun for you to listen to. Mm -hmm. How did you initially get into like, why, why podcasting? Well, my friend, John Gabris, who uh, had already, he had his podcast, I think maybe his second one. I don't remember, but we were, like at an airport at like 7 a.m. or something. And then he was like, why don't you have a podcast? And I was like, because mm-hmm. I don't listen to them. I don't know. I just, I don't want to do it. And he was like, I think you should do one because like people really listen to podcasts. And I think it would help you with your like stand-up numbers and stuff. I think it's mm-hmm. like a good way to like get, like reach more people. And I was like, well, I don't even know what I would do it about. He was like, I don't know, do it about like love and like uh, fucking people. And I was like, oh, okay. And then he's like, talk to HeadGum. That's where the company or the production company he was at or the podcasting company. I don't even know what to call them. Uh, So I just like wrote an email and I was like this. And they were like, okay, let's record an episode. (laughs) And I was like, like, oh, okay. (laughs) And then I did it. And then I was like, oh, this is actually not as hard as I thought it was. Uh, Because my understanding was like, podcasts were like improv podcasts and I'm not good at improv podcasts. So I like was, oh. I'm very bad at them. I'm a very visual person. Mm. And when people are just sitting being like, I'm Susie Q and I play basketball. I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, I'm, I, I like watching people do object work and whatnot. So I was like, oh, uh-huh. I can just talk. I, I can talk. That's fine. Yeah. So then show. that's yeah. uh, how I want you date me was born. Amazing. Which is just so fabulous and so great. It's so great, and also my family. We just started rewatching Lord of the Rings, so it's really fun that you're wa- you're doing with Lauren Lapkus the rewatch the yes, first yes, time yes. watches of the Lord of the yeah. Rings movies. Uh, they are not for me, uh, <laughs> okay. but when you talk to someone about it, I feel like I'm being gaslit every time we record because I'm like yuck, and then by the end I'm like yeah, you know it wasn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Good, yeah. So the podcasting that's the thing, like it it sort of helps you, right? Like it's therapeutic to talk about your love life, and it's. It expands your horizons to talk to people who are fans of stuff. 
Yeah, I will say it is nice to talk to someone new every week on Why Won't You Date Me. It's nice yeah. to talk to Sashir every, like, I mean, we bank episodes too, so it's nice to mm-hmm. talk to Sashir as often as I get to. But then also we talk when we're not podcasting. Talking to Lauren's really great. I love Lauren. She's so easy to work with and she's so effortlessly funny. And it's yeah. been a joy to like get to know her better during this period. Um, and then I have a 90 Day Fiance podcast with my friend Marcy. <laughs> it's on Patreon. Uh, the reason why it's on Patreon is because we don't we're not at a network and there's no ads. So we make the money via the Patreon instead of ads. Some right. people really don't understand the breakdown of like charging money per month as opposed to a free podcast. Um, right. So I love 90 Day Fiance. It's the wildest show on television. I truly love it more than anything. It is such a treat. Um, and then I co-host another with Manu Agapian called Drag Her, where we talk about drag race. Yes. Uh, I like flit in and out of that one when uh, mm-hmm. life is normal and I'm touring, but you know, since I've been home, I've been doing it. Right. And that's the thing with podcasting. It lends itself well to, you can pick it back up. You can drop it. Yeah. It's sporadic. It's as, as you're able to schedule it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's however much you want. You can like skip weeks. So like newcomers yeah. in between our like seasons, mm-hmm. uh, we skipped a couple of weeks to be like, we just need a break from watching the longest movies that have been made in American history. Yes. Every Star Wars movie was like literally two hours minimum. And then yes. the, the Lord of the Rings movies are like three hours. And then so there's like long. extended cuts. And I was like, who would ever? And there's some <laughs> loyalists who are like, I would never watch a theatrical version of that. And I'm like, OK, <gasps> well, you have a lot of time. Yeah. And and as as do we all. Like that podcast is really perfect for, for the times. <laughs> um so what we're all about advice on this on this podcast. What in terms of podcasting, let's say somebody wants to get into it. I mean, maybe your advice is don't, don't get into <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> but uh, like, I don't know. I think my advice is to get into it. There's uh-huh. um something for everybody. Podcasting is pretty niche. Like Lauren and I are literally watching nerd stuff. So like yeah. Uh, someone <laughs> phrased it very perfectly. One of our reviews was like, I never thought I'd get enjoyment over being angry at two women talking about something I love and getting it all wrong <laughs> and not being able to correct them. And I was like, I mean, yeah, that's a thing there for somebody. <laughs> um, yeah, I just like relationship podcasts that's for somebody. Like maybe you love uh, Sweet Valley High and you want to do a Sweet Valley High podcast. Oh, sure. There's a ton of people out there who love the Sweet Valley High books and would love to like scour them on eBay or whatever to find them and read them along with you. So I say just do it. Um, yeah. And like if you tweet it enough, like somebody will find it. Like mm. I, <laughs> I said a lot on like my podcast with Marcy, but I was like, we started with nobody and now we have a bunch of people who listen. And she was like, yes, Nicole, everybody starts at zero. And I'm like, yes, okay. (laughs) But it's like a good thing to remember. Like everybody starts at zero. You know, I've done shows to three people. And some of those shows have been the best shows of my life. Uh, So like, you got to start somewhere. Well, and there is a ton of overlap between the comedy world and the podcasting world. So you're also, your friend told you to get into it partly because it would help your act, right? And it's helping you develop yourself as a comedian, maybe. Yeah, I mean, my my manager, who I love so much, Joel, he'll like listen to my podcast and he'll go, Nicole, there's a bit here for you to expand. Okay. And I was like, what? And one of my favorite bits that I do now is something that he pulled from the podcast. And then I, I think it was the Virgil. I was doing a show there and I like said the premise and then improvised the punchlines and like the twists and the jokes. And then I was like, oh my God, yes. Now I have like a new five minute bit Wow. Just based on someone listening to it and being like, this is a good bit. There's a good premise. 
So I'm like forever grateful that he like actually listens to it because I had another manager who I was like, will you listen to it? I think it's good and people like it. And he's like, I'll get to it. And guess what? He never did. But guess what? He we never don't work together no more. Oh. <laughs> there you go. There's more advice too. work with managers who want to like. Yeah, I mean, working with somebody who believes in me like wholeheartedly and fully has been like so great. Yeah. Yeah. He's really wonderful. I love him so much. That should be that should be essential, but it's not always the case. Well, it's like any other job where you're like, I don't think my boss likes me. And it's like, honestly, if you feel that way, they probably don't. (laughs) Or like they do and they don't give a shit about you. But it's nice to work with people who give a shit. Like my whole team's really great. I really like them. Yeah. So is that like, what's the, what's the piece of advice for when people ask you for advice in the comedy world, like how to become a success in comedy, what, what do you tend to say? I mean, I, my whole comedy journey is not like anybody else's. It's, uh, and I think very few people understand, like have an understanding of like what I did to get to where I am. Cause it's, it's a, it was a weird journey, but like for most people you go to open mic nights and you mm-hmm. go, you go, you go, you go until somebody is like willing to book you on a show. And then once you get booked on a show, you kind of have to prove yourself with every booking. So mm-hmm. like, just like getting back up and like when you bomb, just going back again, night after night, yeah. you have to, because I've told jokes at work, the first three times I've told them, fourth, fifth, sixth, 89th time, they don't work. Mm-hmm. But then the 90th time it works again, and you're like, I don't know what I did different. And it's like, maybe right. just the inflection on a word changed. So like, it's a process, it's a journey, it's a marathon, it's not a mm. sprint. Uh, and for some people it is a sprint and you kind of have to like keep your eyes on your own paper. And that's something I remind myself of all the time. Like I've, you know, had moderate success. And then sometimes I'm like, well, why is this person getting this? And I'm like, because that's mm. what they were meant to get. And that wasn't for me. Oh. And that's, that's like a hard thing to remember, but it's something you have to continually tell yourself that not everything yes. is for you. Yes. It's a relearning. you got to relearn yeah. that lesson. Yeah. Um, compare and despair is what it's been. Somebody on this podcast called it that before. Of like, Yeah. I mean, that's great. That compare and despair. Because that's all like, that's kind of what social media is. You look around, yeah. you're like, I can't believe this person has this and this and that. And it's like, you don't actually know what they have. Mm-hmm. You don't know if that person's miserable inside. Like, focus on yourself and, like, really do things that make yourself happy. And I think that's an important thing because that was, like, something I lost in, like, the last couple of years with just, like, going, 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 going. I wasn't doing mm-hmm. anything that was, like, genuinely making me happy on a week-to-week basis. But then I found pole dancing, and that made me super happy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, I'm thankful that I found that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Follow your bliss, and that's true for life and, and in career. Yeah. Yeah. Follow your bliss, but also like put in the work. Oh, yeah. And especially, I feel like for comedy, it is like you're saying, I love this idea that it's a marathon and it requires little tinkers as you as you go and as you bomb. To, you're going to bomb. Yeah. You're going to bomb. And it's like to get to mile one, it might take three years. But at mile one might be like a really cool job that you didn't think you were going to get. And then maybe getting to mile two takes three days and you get this other job that you're like, oh, my God. And then mile four is like another three years. Like you just have to like really understand that like this is a it's a longevity. It's like I don't plan on retiring anytime soon. I don't Mm. think I ever really plan to retire. I hope to like be doing comedy and acting until I'm in a bed and almost dead. And I'm like, let me just get one more take Uh, because I love it. Like, I love it so much. Uh, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't 
uh, an actor or performer. Uh-huh. I don't know. I maybe a mechanic. That's what I've always. That's what I wanted to be when I was a little. mechanic. Yeah, but I had no idea how to like get into that. I love cars. <laughs> oh, you love cars. Oh, interesting. Well, you're sort of like a joke mechanic. Yeah, you tinker around with the joke until it it runs uh, smoothly on the highway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you mentioned this. You you had more of a strange, maybe circuitous journey. Did you? In this journey, were there any, is there anything akin to like a big break? Were there big breaks or is it really just incremental? No, I think my big break was Girl Code. That's what a lot Uh of people knew me from. Um, I was doing improv and sketch at UCB in New York. I had moved out here to do the CBS Diversity Showcase, which is a showcase where casting directors get to see some diverse people to make their shows more inclusive. Um, and after that, like almost immediately after getting the, or performing in that showcase, I had auditioned for Girl Code months before I moved to LA. And then I found out I got that job and I was like, okay, great. So then they (laughs) flew me back and forth to New York to shoot because there's no green screens in LA. And, uh, I I don't understand why I had to fly back and forth, but it was nice because everything happens for a reason. I missed New York so much. So it was like. There really great that I got to see my friends in that first like couple years I was in LA. Um, hmm. But like once that aired, it was like crazy because I still had the notifications on my Twitter and like it was from the premiere <laughs> episode, my phone just was vibrating. Like I couldn't text anybody. I couldn't do anything. My phone was just vibrating with all these notifications. And I was like, oh my wow. God. And then people were talking about it. And after like the second season, like I was getting recognized places when I wore my curly wig. Uh, So like that was, it was a big, it was a breakout. It was, I would say a hit uh, uh, and people still, you know, will talk about it to me. And it was like almost 10 years ago Mm. or seven years ago. I don't know. But um, yeah, so then I started doing stand up after that. Usually people do open mics, eat shit for a long time and then get on book shows. So I had gotten girl code. And since I had like a little bit of notoriety, it was easy for me to get booked on shows. And then I was also doing college shows and I was like, and I said no at first. I was like, well, I don't do stand up. That seems weird. And my manager at the time, thankfully, was like, I think you should just like frame your characters as stand up bits. And, you know, Mm. he's like, it's like leaving money on the table. They're putting money down. It's easy. It's an easy grab. And you're saying no. And I was like, well, I don't want to do bad shows. He's like, they won't be bad. They like you. And I was like, oh, okay. And I really didn't understand that. And my friend Emily Heller, who's a phenomenal stand up, was at my first show at Rutgers. And I was like, you should close. And she was like, no, they're here for you. They like you from TV. Honestly, Nicole, just like be you. They'll like it. They want to see you. And she was right. I did not tell very good jokes, but they liked them because I was telling them. And then when I got back to L.A., I realized I was like, oh, shit. So that show may have gone well. And my first it was like the third stand up show I'd ever done. And I did a half hour and. I was like, and I like labored over that half hour. I was like, oh my God, what the hell oh, am yeah. I going to do? Um, but when I got back to LA, I was like, oh, okay. So I need to like do shows in between these college shows because I think there's a grace period. I think people will be forgiving into a certain point. <laughs> so then I was like, I have to get good. So get then good I would it. like pound the, I would do like shows every night of the week when I was in LA and I would go on the road and I'd be doing sh- like it was just I did a lot of work to get good at stand up mm-hmm. and I'm proud of what I've done. But a lot of people put in the work and then it's like smooth sailing. Mine was like, yeah. well, I put in the work. I got this job. Now they want me to do something else. And I have to figure out this something else they want me to do. And then I have to get good at it. So 
not, it was, not it was unlike weird. the podcasting too. It's like you're being almost asked to go in this different direction and then you got to just work to get good at it. Yeah. And sort of master it. Yeah. And then keep pushing yourself, I guess. Yes. Yeah, because I could like, have been a person who was like, great, I'm getting booked on these shows and mm-hmm. uh, I'm on the road so I don't have to do the book shows in LA because like, I'm easy breezy on vacation, whatever. And then like not get better and keep taking the money and then being bad. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like there's yeah. a, you can make a choice to like not put in the work. I just chose to put in the work because I was just like, if anyone came to my show and they were like, "Ugh, you're not as funny as you were on TV, I'd be devastated. I'd be like, oh no. Right, right. It's yes, but a lot of like, Artists who were really pounding the pavement, they're pounding the pavement every waking moment. They're, it's 24-7. Yeah. My mother told me, <laughs> she was like, you can be anything. I was like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And she was like, well, you can be anything you want to be when you grow up. You just have to be the best at it. And I remember I thought I was real smart. I was like, what if I want to be a prostitute? And then there's nothing <laughs> wrong with sex work. But like I was 10 years old at the time. So like oh. it's, that was out of pocket. And my mother looked at me and she goes, then be the best one out there and make all the money. And that stuck with me because I was like, yeah, no matter what I do, I have to be the best at it (laughs) and make all the money. So that's, yeah, that's, it stuck with me. A lot of things my mother said stuck with me. She also said it takes more um, energy to frown than it does to smile. So yeah, I try to stay cheerful, you know, keep a smile on my face. Yeah. Yeah. Smiling and being the best prostitute, I feel like that like is the amalgam of who you are now. <laughs> it's like the two. <laughs> I like that. Put those I, together I do. and there you are. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, well, this is all great. Thank you so much. Uh, do you have, what? what is the other advice? What is the other advice for maybe the more like scripted acting side of things? Is that a yeah, separate sure. act? Learn your lines. <laughs> okay. Because once yeah. you learn your lines, not only does the day move faster, but you can play. Like if uh-huh. you, if everyone, if the two people in the scene, three people in the scene, however many people, if everyone knows their lines, that means mm. your marking rehearsal goes faster. That means let's shoot the rehearsal because we know our lines. Um, that means oh, we've cool. shot the rehearsal. We've shot, you know, uh, enough of whatever when we go into like close-ups or whatever maybe you get to play a little bit because uh, mm. it's like if you don't know your lines we need to get them clean but if you know them you can play and then maybe some other comedy will come from that uh, and it, cool. you just feel more at ease when you know them uh, also ask for more money if they offered <gasps> you ten dollars that means yeah. they probably have twenty to give you and if you are offered 10, you ask for $20, They you can settle on 15, 16, 17, $18, yeah. which is more than the 10 they offered you. Also, if you're a woman, find out how much your male co-star is making. You should yeah. be making the same thing if you are doing the same amount of work. And I say that like, no matter what your star status is, if you like, because if you're mm. in the same room with them, that means you earned your spot in that room with them. Exactly. Never be grateful to be at the table. You earned your place at the table. So ask to be paid adequately. Yes. I don't think we've ever heard that piece of advice before because it's really true for, especially for early career, you've booked the role, but you still don't feel like you belong there and that yeah. you have the right to ask yes, for something Yes, but like, like if you have the job and you haven't been fired after a table read, that means <laughs> you earned your spot. That means they yeah. want you there. Yeah. Uh, and I mean... Yeah, your deal's probably, it's closed before the table read or whatever. But like, just know that you earned, you earned it. 
if you didn't earn it, it would have gone to somebody else. If they didn't want you, it would have gone to somebody else. So ask for the money that you deserve. Like, (laughs) I think a lot about Michelle Williams getting paid a per diem to do reshoots and Mark Wahlberg, a man who attempted to kill a Vietnamese man and has a very racist past, (laughs) getting so much money. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? I was like, how did her representation not ask how much he was making on a reshoot? And then also I was like, you make money on a reshoot? That's wild. I mean, Mm. to me, I was like, I thought that's just like what you owe to the project or whatever, but Mm. like, always ask for more. If it's a reshoot, ask if people are getting paid. If it's press stuff, ask what are the accommodations that somebody else is getting? Make sure you are getting the same treatment as everybody else. There is no reason to be treated like dog shit when somebody else is being treated like the, like an escargot. That's fancy, right? I don't know. That's fancy, right? (laughs) No, that's so true. That, that's so spot on. Like the Michelle Williams thing, I'm really glad that that came to light and that there was just sort of, it was a little bit of a wake up call, I think of like, oh, all these things that people, I guess women, did mm-hmm. not know that they were allowed to ask for and, and yeah. are allowed to ask for it. And and then it's like, think about Michelle Williams. Now think of a black woman. She probably okay, didn't even get a per diem. No. You know, like the black woman, she didn't get a per diem. She didn't get, you know, housing. She probably no. had to put herself up for these reshoots. This is like hypothetically uh, well, the Latinx woman. Like, I'm sure she was like no money is being offered to these people. Totally. And it's like if Michelle Williams is getting treated like that, like women of color are getting treated even worse. Definitely. So always, yes. always ask for more. I That's truly what I say. Ask that's for more. And then advice. sometimes you have to be OK with like something going away uh, when they say no. And you're like, well, this is way oh. under my worth. And then sometimes you do have to make a choice. You're like, all right, they've said no. They right. still want to pay me, you know, two potatoes and a smile. Do I want that? <laughs> is that okay with me? And maybe it's a no. Then, you know, if you do a great job, you can use that as leverage on your next project. Sure. Or, you know, they only want to pay you this amount, then say, then great. Next season, I get to renegotiate. Yeah. You get right. that caveat put in. Like, try to cover your bases so you don't mm. get fucked over for years. That's excellent advice. And it's it's help, what's helpful there is to have that other point of data of like knowing what, for example, your co-star is yeah. getting. And you can just ask, can you ask the co-star? I mean, I think that puts people in a weird position, yeah. um, unless you're friends. Then it's like, reach out, ask. Yeah. Uh, but I think you have representation for a reason. Um, right. okay. So ask your reps to ask their reps. Uh, yeah. and I don't think anyone's like, no, I'm not telling you. I, yeah. you know, sometimes people's salaries are printed like on deadline. So like, you know, totally. people's deals are printed. A lot of things are public. So, and people, people love to talk. So I, yeah, have your reps do the work for you. That's what they're there for. That's great. Yeah, that's great. There is so much there. Thank you for going there with me. I really oh, like no having problem. candid conversations about that. And on my list to, to tell you about what my first pretty sure the first time I ever saw you was in a video. This was years ago. I'm pretty sure it was UCB of of Be Blacker. And yes, do you I this? wrote oh that because I had an audition for Nestle. The commercial exists. I booked it, <laughs> but it was uh-huh. Nestle in 
I don't know. I shot the commercial in Romania. Uh, they flew oh me God. economy and it was the most luxurious thing I had done to date. They give yeah. you free wine when you leave the country. And I didn't know. I was like, can I have more? And she's like, you can have as much as you want. And oh I was like, God. oh my God, the luxury Lufthansa come through. But uh, <laughs> I, I like went and oh no. So the audition, my other friend was also auditioning for it. And like during my audition, the lady was like, okay, I did it. And she goes, okay, so now do it again. Be as black as possible. And if you she go to, yes, she said, if you go too black, I'll bring you back. And I was like, what does that mean? Too black? Yeah. And what she meant was she wanted me to like, be like, uh-uh, no, with like neck rolls and snapping yes. and be like, no, girl. So that's what I did because I, yes. I was like, I don't know. I'm a nobody. Um, and then well. my friend went to the callback and she was like, yeah, she lined five of us up in a room, showed us your audition tape, and was like, do that. And I think no. it's because I was like, the choice, but they needed more choices? I don't know. But I was like, this is wild. Uh, so That's then wild. I got it, got to Romania, and <laughs> the director was like, can you say some vernacular from your people? And I was like, what? Oh, he was boy. like, you know, call him son or whatever. And I was like, okay. I feel that feels weird. But like, no. okay. Uh, so like the commercial is truly a caricature of black people. And am I proud of it? Right. Yes. Because uh, I got to go to <laughs> Romania, baby. Well, that also, what a perfect like backstage story. Like it's early career. Of course, you're going to say yes to all of this. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. you kind of have to play the game till you don't have to play the game. Exactly. And that's like another thing you have to like understand. It's a very weird industry to navigate. But when I got there, yeah. so like I'm flying around. And the stunt guy was this beautiful man with beautiful eyes. And he was like, hello, it is nice to meet you. And I was like, oh, thank you. He was like, we found the biggest man we could find to see if we could fly him in the harness. You are bigger than him, but we think it is sturdy. And I was like, I feel welcomed. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, it was. I was there for like four days. It was so wild. That is I was so wild. literally the biggest person in Romania. I, like, <laughs> life flies. Like, I was the tallest, whitest person anyone had ever seen. You. Also, I was like the only black person there at that time. People stared at me everywhere I went. I was like, this is wild. Uh, it was fun, though. Wow. I, had, I had a good time. Well, because that's the thing about that, that what's striking about the, um, the Be Blacker sketch video is that in the audition, you, I mean, it's you, you're playing yeah. this person you're taking the direction really well. Like the director is giving, let's, it's really racist. It's direction mm -hmm. is racist and you are doing it. Like you're doing it well. You're, you're responding to your up, upping the Be character in a really- Because that's what you have to do if you want to Because you know how to do that, exactly. And I tried to write the lines in the scene to be as mundane as possible, to be like, well, why is she black? So, I think the line is, Lashwanda, did you get those clams I asked for? Yes. Which is so weird. So it's weird. It's the weirdest line. <laughs> You get a clam and you get a clam. <laughs> My yeah, friends and I would a, quote this video. Yes. It's a very silly video, but yeah, that's what it is auditioning for some people. We might, when I write this, this episode of this podcast up, I might have to include that video because it really is emblematic of backstage auditioners. I think the backstage mm -hmm. user can really relate to that experience. Maybe especially black women who <laughs> maybe yeah. have gone through something similar. Yeah. And it's weird to like, talk about it because I'm like, there are some black women who do sound that way. And there's some black mm -hmm. women who don't sound that way. I think the word is monolithic. Yeah. Uh, the black yes. experience is not monolithic. Totally. Uh, and totally. it would be nice to see other people represented. Uh, yeah. That's why I think shows like Insecure are super important because I feel like Issa sounds like me. Um, oh yeah. 
And then sure. like also like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, Hillary Banks sounded like me. Lisa Turtle sounded like me. So like it was cool. It was cool to grow up and have those people. And I just wonder like, do kids have that now? I don't know. Right. And like you're saying, it does come down to who's behind the camera because yeah. we can see who's on the camera. That part's easy to, to gauge the representation there. Mm-hmm. But if it's if it's white people writing the part for the black characters, it's problematic just to yeah. say the least. Yeah. And it's like when you have your token, you know, black person in the room, that's like a right. whole nother conversation because, yes. you know, you have your diversity hires where they're free to the network. And then once they're not free anymore, they don't hire them because then they become more expensive because they've now, you know, surpassed staff writer. Now they're like a co-producer. It's like a whole yeah. weird system of like a different system of oppression. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's really it's it's really interesting if you like break it down. Yeah, and it's it's sort of a game, like it's a game you have to play, right? That you have to learn the rules and yeah. which battles to pick, like yes. you're saying. Like I love this, I love this advice about particularly when it comes to pay of deciding within yourself and asking your weighing the pros and cons of like should I walk away? Cuz sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's better for you, it's better for everyone. If you draw a line and say, yes. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to accept that. Yeah. Yeah. But we all, we can't all afford to do that. And it's just, yeah. And like that sucks. I think it's Lucy Liu is like, it's nice to have fuck you money mm. to go. You've now Ooh. lowballed me. Uh, you yeah. don't seem like, I know my white co-star is making X amount more than me, but I'm not doing it. Fuck you. I have the money to say that. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's what I mean by playing the game till you don't have to. Yeah. Play the game, get your money. Yeah. And then when you feel like someone's disrespecting you, like it just, no, no, not until you it's pay so me what I'm worth. Hear. It's so good to hear. I really, yeah. I think that is key for women, for people of color, for any minority in this industry to hear mm-hmm. that exact advice. So, yeah. Thank you. Because like you're saying, it's a weird industry. <laughs> it's a bizarre industry because like <laughs> I have a lot of gay friends who will be like, yes. oh, well, uh, it's gay time. It's me and all the gays and we're being asked to be as gay as possible. Gay time. <laughs> it's like wear a scarf and be like, honey, I don't think that matches. Uh, my yeah. friend Brandon Scott Jones is in this movie with Rebel Wilson called Isn't It Romantic? Yeah. And he plays like a stereotypical gay person and he yeah. does it. So it's so funny. I'm like, everything he does in the movie is everything that people are asked to do in auditions. There it is, like, right. It's, it's so It's, it's so almost funny. meta commentary. It's so yeah. meta in yeah. a way where I'm like, truly only actors of color mm. and queer actors understand yes. this. Yes. To, to playing the game. Mm-hmm. It's both depressing and, and inspiring, empowering yeah. to hear this, I think. I hope so. And then also Nicole, it's like create you. your own shit. That's like another thing. Thank you so much for having me. What a treat. Oh my God. No, you, this is pure gold. Um, can I ask you a couple of very backstagey questions? Sure. Rapid fire backstagey questions. How did you, first of all, how did you get your SAG card? Do you remember? Oh my God. I was a must join. I, because you have to pay into the union and I didn't have any money. And I can, I <laughs> yes. think it might've been some voiceover stuff because I think I had it I joined when oh. oh I think I was AFTRA and then became SAG yeah and I think I had done a couple of voiceover stuff uh, I think it might have been 30 Rock I was a must join they were like you have to join before you can say. shoot this on your on your IMDB it looks like 30 Rock is your first like televised appearance which is crazy it is yeah I got to be people were like we were on 30 Rock I was like well I was in the tag of an episode of 30 Rock the tag. but yeah. I was elated. It was very cool. Tina Fey was yeah. so nice. Uh, 
Beth McCarthy Miller was the the director, and I was like, oh, oh, female director, cool. And I was like, this must be the norm. And <laughs> I quickly found out that that's not the uh, norm. <laughs> and I have gotten to work with some solid female directors, and it's great. Yeah, amazing. Um, what would you say? This is this is maybe actorly, but it could be in the world of comedy. What is one performance that every aspiring performer should see or should study? Oh wow. Uh, Daniel Kul, I don't Kul, he was Kaluya. Kaluya, that's yes. such a hard name for me. His performance in Queen and Slim is really, really great, it's so and good. his performance in Get Out is really great. And I think <laughs> Get Out is a perfect movie because everyone is playing such different things in the movie, and mm. I it's fun to watch because like Rel is in a different movie. <laughs> Like Rel oh, is totally. like is like oh. it is comedy, 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 yeah. and it's so funny. And then everything else is so like dark and stuff. Uh, but yeah. then when it comes together, it mixes so well. It shouldn't work. Yeah. No, and it works so well. So like, if, yeah. I mean, I think everyone has seen Get Out, but like, it's honestly worth a, re- a rewatch. Yeah. Um, let's see. I Ghost is another one like that for the like. I, Ghost okay. is my favorite movie where Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> all of her lines are so funny. And yeah. as a kid watching it, I was like, oh, my God, she gets to be so funny. I loved it. And everything else yeah. is like pretty dark. And I said yeah. to a friend, I was like, Ghost is one of the best romantic comedies of our time. And she was like, it's not a romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. But I, I think everyone's performance, again, everyone is doing very different things. And mm. it comes together in such a beautiful way. Um, what else? Um, I'm a very big Whoopi fan. Uh, <laughs> literally signed into Zoom as her. Yes. Have you met her? Once, briefly. Okay. Uh, all of the Fast and Furious movies are a watch because you get to watch people commit to the silliest things. Yeah. And committing yeah. can go so far to sell yeah. something. Like there's a, in Fast and Furious, I think it's eight, Fate of the Furious, The Rock is like holding a helicopter whilst like on a moving car. And he's like, Arr! and you're like, no, this would never happen. But like, <laughs> He doesn't take you right. out of the fantasy. Um, right, 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 right. Yeah. What else? Um, God, that's a great example. Yeah, I think anything like Because you can still study the fun. acting in that. Yeah. Like, that's commitment. Yeah, like committing it really can get you everywhere. It's hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. Um, okay, the, okay, so the question we also ask is, what advice would you give your younger self if you could go back in time? And I have to tell you, Maya Rudolph was just on this podcast and she, we haven't talked about your book. Maya Rudolph said in answer to this question, after this full interview where she gave all this serious crafting career advice, she said the advice she would give her younger self is she wished she had taken more pictures of herself in a bikini. Oh. And I was like, Nicole Byer did that, is doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I honestly think more people should just chill the fuck out about their bodies. It's your body. Yes. You can change it if you want. Some people cannot. I understand there's like, you know, limitations for some people, but mm-hmm. then it's just like, accept it. That's if you can't change it, accept it. If you yeah. can't change it, you yeah. literally can't change it. What's the point of being upset? Um, but I think yeah. the thing I would tell my younger self is truly everything really does happen for a reason. It will mm-hmm. work out. And there's no need to feel like you're in competition with other women, black or not black. Uh, there's room for everybody and it'll be, uh, you'll be okay. You don't have to fight so much. It goes back to what your, your advice about keep your eye. What did you say? Keep your eyes on your own paper. Yes. That's the advice. Yeah. 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 Keep your eyes on your own paper. Yeah. 
That's great advice. Oh, Nicole. This is, this is really lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Browse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.